Good morning, church. My name is Matt Hall, and I'm going to be doing today's scripture reading, and it's going to be out of Romans 1, 1 through 7. So if you want to get out your Bibles or your Bible apps or the person sitting next to you's Bible app, you're welcome to do that. And if not, this screen may be reliable enough to read off of. No promises. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who is declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all Gentiles for his name's sake, among with whom you also are called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of our Lord. I have the special privilege this morning of introducing our guest preacher, um, who I've known for a little while. Mainly, it started out through um, her husband, who I sort of have a working relationship with here at the church. Um, Emily Jamison uh, has been doing CBS, uh, Community Bible Study, here in our church. It meets on Wednesday mornings, and she's been doing that for a number of years now. And recently, our pastor's wife, Susie, uh, was here when Emily was speaking at CBS, and she heard Emily speak, and she recommended Emily as a potential guest preacher to Pastor Peter. And then Peter wanted a mother to be speaking on Mother's Day. And Emily happens to be a mother of three now, right? So she has three little ones. Um, I think one of them just took off out that way. And um, she is the wife of Marshall Jameson, who is the Young Life Director here on the island. So Marshall has an office right up there. I can see his window right through there. Um, he's in our church, actually. Right now, he is in India. Um, he is back. Same, same Africa. No, he's in Africa. I just don't know my geography, you guys. That's all. I didn't go to that class. So he's in Africa, not India. Other people are in India. And she has been an academic coach on Mercer Island for a while. Um, and so that's part of what she does around here is she's CBS and uh, mother of three and works with Young Life and also helps kids with academics. So she's pretty awesome. And if you will give her a round of applause, she's going to come up and give us the word of the Lord this morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? I'm glad they lowered this because up here I was looking at it thinking I'm going to have to peek over the top. I'm a little vertically challenged. And um, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers in the room. Um, I am excited to be here this morning. As stated, my name is Emily Jamison. Um, I'm going to give you a quick bio, just in a nutshell. I was not always a Jameson. I actually moved here as Emily Odegaard. Um, I was in second grade, moved in next to, next door to my grandparents. Um, and my mom and my grandmother are here, so three generations of moms here this morning. And they are wonderful and dear friends and encouragers and the best babysitters ever. And um, so I am thankful for them. Um, I graduated from Mercer Island High School in the last year of the last century, 1999. Went off to Dartmouth College and played soccer there, and that was largely where the Lord took my knowledge of him and my desire for him, and I made that crazy journey, that 12 inches between my head and heart, and my knowledge of him became um, a love for him. And... Whew, here we go. So um, that being said, I came home from Dartmouth, and a few months later, I was set up on a blind date with a relatively quiet, very tall, dashing young man named Marshall Jameson. It was my first and last blind date because after a few hiccups, about 14 months later, we were engaged. And in fact, he proposed, quit his job, and left for Malibu, um, which is a Young Life camp in Canada, for a month, all in the same week. 
pretty fantastic. Came home about three months, well, came home a month later, and about three months after that, he was hired on as the first Young Life staff person on Mercer Island. So our marriage began with a whole lot of faith, no money, a lot of late nights with high school kids, and really no regrets. And um, here we are, fast forward seven years, and I have a picture of my family. So there's Marshall on the right. Like I said, he's actually in Uganda right now. He's on a safari right now. How's that for Mother's Day? Oh my gosh. But um, he has been working at a basketball camp. They've been training about 200 Ugandan adults to be able to bring basketball back to their local communities with the hope of having those athletics help heal traumatized youth. Pretty cool deal. Um, So my oldest, Tucker, is on Marshall's back. He just ran out of the room. He's five and a half. And then Bennett on my back is about three and a half. He's potty training and pretty awesome. And Wesley is the happiest baby you'll ever encounter, despite teething. Um, But he's about eight months old. So that is my family. Um, It has been a wild seven years. And Um, I am so thankful for life and so thankful that I get to speak to you this morning about one of my favorite things. Um, It has been a crazy week. Um, Being a single mom of three and preparing for a sermon has been a bit wild. We've had, you know, the epic two-hour routine bedtimes, right? Two hours is not routine. But two-hour bedtimes, we've had witty, hilarious five-year-olds and the potty training and the teething and everything else. And I've been equally terrified and excited to speak with you this morning. And God has been so gracious. I've had wonderful babysitters release me to go on runs and spend time with Jesus. And he has poured out clarity and purpose for this morning. The title of this sermon, though it says intersection, I think on your bulletin, was actually super mom. Blame Peter for that one. But um, that has nothing to do with me. The only relation I have with super mom is my unrealistic desire to be one and the constant reminder that I am not one. Mind you, I'm wearing white pants and I have three little boys. Like this is not, I mean, that should right there undermine any authority I have as wise person. Anyway, um, but I, I really, I, I cannot pretend to speak to the broad spectrum of mothering. Um, it is one of longing, of joy, of pain, of sorrow, of desperation, a lot of laughter, a lot of tears. Um, I remember when I was young thinking, gosh, being a stay-at-home mom, like when I get bored, I mean, what am I going to do all day? Oh my gosh, I eat my words daily, (laughs) daily. It is a full and chaotic lifestyle and challenging. Um, Next to marriage, it is probably the thing that is caused me to become most aware of my own sin and selfishness, and yet at the same time more than ever aware of God's grace and faithfulness. I love my boys. They keep me on my toes more than anything. They keep me on my knees. I love my husband. I adore my boys, but I owe my life to Jesus. He has my whole heart. And I couldn't be more excited about the scripture that I landed on to speak about today. We're in Romans 1, and before we dive in, I'm just going to pray quickly. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for every individual in this room that you called and appointed them to be here today to hear, and you've appointed me to share the good news of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified, that anything that is of my flesh that would, would just fall away, and that your Holy Spirit would speak, Lord. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's get up the scripture. So we're in Romans 1, and this larger part in the middle, we're in verses 3 and 4. But I put the whole thing in there so you can see it in context. And kind of exciting, this is one of the longest introductions that Paul has in any of his letters, because in fact, he has never been to Rome. He was not a founder of that church. He's trying to establish some authority by which to speak, similar to what I just sort of attempted to do, because many of you I know, many of you I don't know. Um, But really, the beautiful thing here is that the story is not about Paul, and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. He refers to this gospel of God, and he says it's concerning his son, that first part of verse 3. It is all about 
Jesus. I think we can get often distracted or so familiar that we begin to make the gospel our good news about Jesus and. Jesus and service. Jesus and morality. Jesus and, quote unquote, insert platform here. But really, it is all about Jesus and the permanent love relationship that he offers to you and I. It is an amazing thing. So why this man? Why Jesus? Why is he set apart from every other prophet, teacher, or founder of religion? Paul goes on to say that he was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. This is an amazing thing because the flesh here in the Greek, it's the word sarx, which means in its simplest form, just the soft tissues of the human body. Though Paul never used it as such. One commentator says this, it refers essentially to the human existence with emphasis on the transitory, weak, and frail nature of that existence. According to the flesh, used 21 times in Paul, denotes being or living according to the merely human. Jesus was fully man. This is astounding because it means that he gets your life. Scripture says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He experienced fatigue. He was tired. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He experienced denial, rejection, abandonment. He experienced unfair trial, torture, and ultimately death. Essentially, everything that you and I have or ever will experience in our human nature, in our early, in our earthly life, he experienced in the flesh. He gets you. Have you ever tried to explain a situation or something to a friend and while well-meaning, they said, oh, I know exactly how you feel. And you're like, no, you don't. You know, I mean, you really don't. I, I wish you could, but you don't. And there's this longing deep within us for someone to get us, to know us, and even more to do something about it. And, and as much as we can commiserate with each other and have empathy, we can't get each other. But Jesus can and does. Jesus stands with us in solidarity. For 30 years before he ever lifted his hand to do a miracle, he lived as a man. Hebrews 4 says that Jesus can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, that he is one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Okay, so this is wild. He was fully man, and yet, Paul goes on to say in verse 4, that he was declared the Son of God with power. In young life, we often refer to this as God in a bod, okay? So it's kind of an easy way to think about God. But um, the John scriptures that we'll have up next, um, in, in the message in John 1, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. Jesus says things like this, I and the father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the father. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Jesus not only gets you as a human, but he has the power to do something about your situation as God. Can I just say that this is all a mystery? It says in scripture that God is unsearchable. I don't stand here and pretend to be able to explain this to you in a way that we can grasp with our minds. And yet I love in Isaiah when God says, come and let us reason together. This faith is not just an emotional heart thing. This is a mind thing. God gave us our minds to use and to reason together. And he gave us some beautiful examples here on earth. And while this is a finite example, to put some humanity to it, I look at marriage. There was something miraculously supernatural divine that happened the day that Marshall and I got married. And in fact, Todd O'Neill, who married us, is in this room today. Um, but that day, something happened. While we were independent of each other, there was this third entity that was born where two became one. 
And essentially, when someone speaks about Marshall in a way that is um, unkind, they're speaking unkindly of me. And when I hear someone praise Marshall, I swell with joy because they're speaking well of me. There is this oneness that happened in marriage. And it's incredible here because Paul even affirms this. He says in Ephesians 5, For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Is that not a beautiful thing? And it gives us this picture of this separate but one somehow. This dim earthly reflection shows us the relationship between the Father and the Son, and also between the Son and his church, us, his desire for us to be one. And yet Marshall and I are flesh, both of us. So in order to speak to one another, to communicate, we merely have to pick up a phone, text. We've been FaceTiming while he's been in Uganda, which has been fun. Um, But we merely have to speak. And yet we are flesh and God is spirit, it says in Scripture. So how do we communicate? How do we reach out to this God? To go back to the Romans verses, it goes on and it says that he was declared the Son of God with power, and we're going to skip ahead, according to the spirit of holiness. As a side note, this is the only time this phrase shows up in the New Testament and did a little bit of research. And I'm a nerd. Like, I mean, I just, I love words and whatnot. And it's actually um, in the genitive or possessive form. So it really means the spirit who gives or supplies holiness. In other words, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Holy Spirit has declared him to be God with power. So with regard to communication, John 4.24 says that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus had the spirit of the living God in him as a pipeline to communicate between he and the Father. He had full access. It's interesting to know, it seems in scripture that the spirit was a constant companion with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, though it was as if he had to retreat and draw away to be with the Father. Jesus lived a life dependent on the Holy Spirit, not differently from us, but as us. He is our example. This is amazing. This part in the middle that I skipped over, it says that Jesus was declared Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Paul essentially says that the proof of the Holy Spirit's power and this God status of Jesus is the resurrection. He is saying that Jesus died. He was fully dead, and yet the Holy Spirit, the spirit of power within him, somehow started his heart pumping again. Through his body, there was blood. His body was healed, and he was raised from the dead. Like, I sometimes get so familiar because I've heard this my whole life that I forget just how scandalous that is. Like, that is crazy. Earlier, I asked what makes this man different. Everyone else that anyone follows is dead. Sure, you may follow their example. There might be some grand truth in their teaching, but are they still speaking? Can they extend themselves to you in relationship and speak into your current situation in your life? This is what makes Jesus altogether different and unique. Now here's another mind-blowing bit. The Holy Spirit, the same one that scripture says raised Jesus from the dead, is alive and well in us. This spirit empowered Jesus to endure life as a sinless man, gave him full access to the Father, and raised him from the dead. And God has offered that spirit to you and me. It's the spirit of the living God in us. 
So not only does Jesus get your pain and your sorrows and your dreams and your joys, but he has the power as God to meet you and do something in that, to encourage you, empower you, comfort you, mourn with you, rejoice with you. He knows that apart from him, we cannot communicate with God. We cannot comprehend spiritual things. In essence, we are separated And so through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he gave us access to the very throne of God where Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father and rules and reigns. I know that I want to know God. I know that every student that I've talked to, every friend that I've spoken with, we want to know who he is and what he's like. The Bible says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. We need to look no further than him. So let's get practical. I like to kind of put meat on things, right? So first off, how do you connect with this God? How do you get to know this God who loves us and gets us and wants to empower us? The first thing, pray. Talk to him. Have a conversation. If you have not invited the Holy Spirit to live in your heart, invite him. Repent of those things that keep you from him. In our house, we do a lot of role-playing with little guys. And so, in fact, Tucker and I were talking through this this morning because he was helping me with this part of the sermon. And so, um, but we've done this before. So when Tuck, who's five, um, when he chooses to disobey or, you know, disrespect mom and dad, um, which, you know, happens. He's a little sinner. Um, but anyway, that happens often. And we'll do things like this. And so he'll come up and, I'll, and we had this conversation. So we do this a lot. And he's looking at me. And I say, okay, Tucker, turn around. Okay, so he'll, he'll turn around for me. So here's mom. I'm standing here and Tucker's standing in front of me. And he turns around. And I say, okay, put your angriest face on. Okay, now you've just disrespected mommy and you're facing away from me. You're separated from me. You don't get to see my smile, my heart. I don't get to hug you right now. When you've chosen to disobey and be distracted by other things and allow other voices to be more important than mine, then our relationship is broken. But I'm going to count to three. And, you're, and I'm going to say repent, which just merely means turn around. And I want you to put a happy face on, and I want you to turn and see me and get ready for the biggest hug you've ever had. And so I'll go, one, two, three, repent. And he turns around with this glowing face and literally leaps into my arms. And there's this huge hug because repentance leads to reconciliation and relationship. God's discipline brings us back towards him, not to hurt us, but to receive us and give us relationship with him. A year and a half ago, we were at a Young Life camp down in Oregon. And Tucker and I were reading his little Jesus storybook Bible, and something happened that day where something clicked in him. And he dropped his head, folded his three-year-old little hands, and just yelled, Jesus, come and live in my heart. And I was like, what? Does he even know what that means? You know, I mean, as mom, I'm thinking, okay, he needs to explain the gospel. Let's make sure he knows what he's doing. But I was so floored, and it's that simple A childlike prayer of faith and honesty. And that's all it takes for you and I to start a relationship with the living God. The second thing I would say is talk to people who know him. In the same way that we learn more about others in community, we get to know more about God. One of my favorite things to do with my husband is go out on like double dates with people or hang out with our young life leaders and do game nights because I only draw out a certain part of Marshall. My sense of humor is limited and, you know, I mean, there's certain things that I only draw out from him and I so enjoy him. But when I see him in community with others, there are different facets that are highlighted of him. And I always walk away more in love with my husband and the fullness of who he is because I saw things I never saw before. 
And it's the same way with God. We can get to know him better by hanging out with people that know him. I love this C.S. Lewis quote, and it's a reflection of the result um, of the loss of a friend. He was in this group of writers called the Inklings, I think is what they called themselves, and their friend Charles Williams had just passed away. And he says this, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald Tolkien's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, that's us, increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim and Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, 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 to one another in Isaiah. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. Do you realize this relationship with God is not meant to be done in isolation? It is meant to be worked out in community. The third thing I'd say is read scripture on your own and with those people I just talked about. Ask the Holy Spirit, ask Jesus to help you make sense of it and obey it. If you um, don't intend to obey scripture, there's no use reading it. I'm just going to say it that simply. The fourth thing is talk to him some more. I tend to journal my prayers. Um, I have ADHD. I get distracted by flying lint in the room. And so my brain can go all sorts of directions. And so I sit with a pen and paper and I write. I talk with God through writing because it streamlines all of my crazy thoughts. Um, And so that being said, I'm going to share a story with you of how this worked out in my life just a couple weeks ago. As I mentioned, um, well, maybe I didn't mention this. We were just on sabbatical. Um, We have a three-month sabbatical after seven years of being on Young Life staff, and we took a six-week road trip with our three little boys down to California. We were in Santa Barbara and Lake Tahoe and had an incredible time. Um, And though I said often, we have a sabbatical from work but not from parenting, right? Because you're still on all the time with these little guys. And it was so fun, and it was rich. But there were some days toward the end of our time in Lake Tahoe when some cabin fever set in, and Wesley was teething. I was up every two hours. I was exhausted. The boys were trying trying to maim each other every other minute. I mean, it was just sort of insanity. And Marshall had drawn away one day just to spend some time with the Lord and get some things done. And so I had had, I had, had a hard, hard day. And I lost it several times. I was harsh. I bullied them into obedience. I was devastated by the end of the day by my rash response to my boys, as it is something I continually, and I know many moms continually battle. I yearn to be velvet steel, so soft and lovely on the outside, and yet inside unbendable and strong, you know? I mean, that's how you want to be as a mom. And yet more often than not, these sharp metal shards come shooting out in the form of harsh words and too firm hands. And I hurt those little ones that I so adore. Well, after finishing the day in a somewhat redemptive manner, um, Marshall and I sat down in front of the fire as became our routine every night to share with each other what we had heard from the Lord that day in our time away and what we were thinking about. And I just confessed to him just my defeated and um, just despairing heart. I was discouraged. And Marshall listened as he does so well. And he held me in silence for a long time, I just sobbed and inwardly recounted all the times that I've failed as a mom, wondering when the day will be that I would be rescued from myself and stop backsliding. 
well, we were quiet for a long time and I um, was about to get up and go wash my face. And Marshall stopped me and said, I want to pray over you. And to be honest, I don't remember what he initially said, but at one point he stopped and he just said this, God, I sense that you're trying to tell me something. I think I'm supposed to just tell Emily that you say that she is forgiven. And I picked this up the next day, my journal entry, the next morning, I went to this funky little coffee shop and I was journaling about the night before. And like I talked about, this is talking to God. So this is what I wrote in my journal. The floodgates opened. I cried so hard. Why is it so difficult for me to receive your forgiveness? I heard your voice in the quiet space after Marshall prayed. It is finished, M. Done. You called me M. How intimate to think that you used my nickname. I love you, and I thank you for the peace that followed. Lord, give me a new heart. Root out the anger, the harsh words, the impatience. Show me how you do it, and give me direction and wisdom. Speak to me today, Lord, and thank you for Marshall. Directly following, I read my devotional, The Daily Light, which is a compilation of scripture passages within a theme each day. And I was hoping and expecting that God would speak to me. And this is what I read. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. He restores my soul. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Hold me up, and I shall be safe. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin. To say I was weeping joyfully in the middle of that funky little coffee shop is an understatement. It won't even do it justice. I was so overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord and his truth. Jesus is amazing. As humanity's representative, he intercedes for us before God. And as God's representative, he assures us of God's forgiveness. Do you see The title of this sermon series is The Reason for Grace. Paul is going to expound this, the rest of his letter to the Romans. Come and listen to Peter unpack this for us. If nothing else, remember that grace has come to you, God in a bod. My deepest desire is that you would walk out of this church today, not with more knowledge about Jesus, but with a burning desire to know him, to know Jesus in a more intimate way than you ever have before. My dear friend and mentor, Lizzie O'Neill, met with me yesterday um, to pray with me and for you. She is an amazing, transparent, beautifully flawed, Jesus-loving mom. And she has three amazing grown girls. And she'd shared a story with me about her oldest daughter just a couple weeks ago. She's beautiful, engaged, she's in grad school, sort of overwhelmed with life. And where this, this moment happened where she just needed her mom. 
And Lizzie recounted this to me. She says, here is my accomplished daughter, this young woman, melting in my arms. I didn't have anything for her, just my presence. I was a comfort for her, and she was empowered just because she got to sit in my arms. God whispered to me in that moment that this mother's heart for our children is how the father sees me. So often we think about him as a father, but we were made in his image, man and woman made in his image. He is a nurturer, a comforter, and this is the invitation to you and I every day to melt in his arms, to be comforted, empowered by his very presence. He's a super mom, right? And who of us doesn't need a mom or a father or Jesus? So get to know him. Because when we know him, we will come to love him. And when we love him, we will do everything we can to please him. And when we please him, there is nothing, I'm telling you, nothing that compares to the joy that he will bring to you and I. And you know what? One day, we're going to meet him face to face. And I pray that on that day, when he looks at me and I meet his gaze, he says, well done, Em. You have made it. You have finished well. You have run the race and you have left a wake of disciples that will one day stand in this place. Some I have already met, some I will meet soon. Because on that day, everything else will fall away. Everything. And what's left is you and him. And that is where our hope lies. That is the hope that is undashable, that no one can take from us. That is where our hope lies. So that being said, I'm going to pray for us. I thank you guys for listening. I thank you for running after the Lord, seeking him in spirit and in truth. And if you don't know how to do that, or if you have questions, find somebody. You are invited. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word, your truth, your grace. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the man who gets us, the God who empowers us. I thank you for loving us the way that you do and giving us joy, unspeakable, and peace that transcends all understanding and that we have a hope that will last for eternity. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.